I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to just subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, we're so happy to have you with us today. I know we're doing a little different recording, being that we're virtual and we're utilizing a tool called Clean Feed uh, in these times, but um, it's great to hear from you. And, and how, are, how are you doing in these days? Well, God's giving me strength, Mike, uh, for uh, what uh, I'm called upon to do, as I'm sure he's doing for all of us here in uh, the community of faith. Uh, um, I think each of us is exercising her or his responsibility in a very new context, and uh, I'm, con- I'm grateful for the way God is sustaining me and for what I see, uh, the ways he's sustaining uh, so many people. I know it's so radically different, even just a month ago, last time we recorded together, how much the world has changed uh, in so many ways. Um, I mean, I know that's a difficult time, especially for leaders, uh, and you being obviously the chief shepherd of our of our own archdiocese. How, how are you approaching all of this yourself, um, and just some of the decision, difficult decision making, and even your own social distancing and prayer life? How are things with you amid this crisis? Well, I'm very grateful that I have so many fine co-workers to help me think about the issues that we have to face and uh, to have creative solutions for them. Uh, We have obviously some immediate things that we uh, have to deal with uh, simply uh, for the sake of moving through day by day. But one of my goals in all of this is not to lose sight of the fact that we are still on mission and we don't want to make any choices or decisions that are going to impede us from uh, going back uh, uh, 100% on mission once we get through this, uh, this uh, pandemic. You know, I saw somebody on uh, social media, they had uh, a picture, and it was an empty church. And it says, the church isn't gone, the church is deployed. And I thought that was a great image. <laughs> yeah, that's um, great. You know, uh, kind of an image in these days that, you know, especially we're deployed to more than anywhere else, the digital continent and having to be present in a new way and really thinking through uh, creative ways that we're present on that digital continent uh, as opposed to all the ways that we've normally done business. So the silver lining, I think, is that it's, it's, it's forced us as a church to get creative in how we minister and how we reach out and love our parishioners and our, our, our evangelize too. I think, uh, well, we, we go into this experience, we live through it, confident that Jesus is Lord, that he has a plan, uh, that he has uh, a plan to bring good out of this, that he's offering us a grace in this time. You have identified some of those graces. And so as uh, trying as it is, as, as Christians, uh, we live uh, through this experience eager to cooperate with God and to um, take, take hold of what he offers. And, and it very well seems that it is the case, that what he's offering us is the opportunity to uh, take firm and clear possession of uh, gifts that uh, we might have taken for granted in the past. We have to be really intentional about Mass, about our prayer. And the other great gift, I think, is this is a a real lesson in how to be the domestic church. Uh, You know, you say the church is uh, deployed. Well, especially she's deployed into her homes. And uh, I think there's, you're kind to think, uh, talk about my responsibility. I think uh, parents have... uh, an even more pressing responsibility to respond right now to this uh, uh, crisis. It's certainly interesting how we're all just kind of having to refocus and redo so many things. But I also agree with what you're saying, Archbishop Vigneron. There's such an opportunity to be present to the movement of the spirit, even in this crisis, if we're intentional about it. And I've certainly found that in my own life and in our in the life of our family. So. That's good. I heard a wonderful story from uh, one of my parish priests. Uh, 
who uh, was uh, trying to help a woman, an old woman, who uh, said she didn't have any faith anymore and she'd lost her faith. And somehow her experiences in these days have helped her rediscover her faith. Uh, mm. She's uh, praying with us on uh, the internet, uh, on the web. Uh, her husband testifies that uh, it's been a great time of grace for her. And uh, I was thinking how many stories there, there must be like that. Uh, and the way God is using uh, what uh, the cross Right. What looks like failure and uh, dead end uh, to be a path and a, and a triumph. That's an excellent point. Even like the rhythm of prayer throughout the day, that's really hard to do is the domestic church when you're moving and you're sending your kids to school and then you have after school activities and there's just so many different things that we do. I found this time, you know, we wake up in the morning and we do a morning offering because we're not rushing to get out the door for school. And I have an alarm set. So we do the Angelus at noon and we pray with our cousins over Zoom, the Divine Mercy at three. Like we're really praying through the day like maybe we've always been called to, but life gets so busy that it's hard to find the time to do it, you know? And that's been a real gift. Mary, can I ask, uh, are you able to take time where you, you have uh, shared prayer and uh, spontaneous prayer that you share with one another? Yeah, so we do that at nighttime is when we do our intentions um, that they name out loud before we kind of get into the formal prayer. So, and that's, that's when my kids are able to ask for, you know, different intercessory prayer and things like that. We don't do a lot of off the cuff, though. Like, we'll say, what do you want to pray for? And they, they name that. But then we kind of uh, settle back into the traditional prayers of the church. So maybe that's something to look for for Holy Week, you know, to be able to just speak from our hearts to God. Especially, I think... Uh uh, for kids to know what's in the hearts of their parents, that mm. uh, this is really important for them, for parents, for for their mom and their and for their dad. I think that right. uh, I remember one day having to ride with my dad to some particular place on his way to work, and uh, we got in the truck and didn't have much to say. It was. Uh, 5.30 in the morning, yeah. and uh, my father started his morning prayer, and uh, he was obviously saying the confidier because I saw him strike his breast three times, mm. and, uh, you know, I was at the end of being a teenager, and, and right. I just never had any idea that that was my dad's way every day. That was what he did every day. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think this opportunity to be able to see each other as family members in a different way has a lot of potential. I mean, it's also a little frustrating in the day to day, <laughs> but there's a lot of potential there as well. So I'm sure with social distancing, your schedule has changed quite a bit in terms of things that you had planned and things that have now been canceled. I wanted to ask you about a couple of them, if that's okay with you. Sure. So there was, which is funny, there was on March 22nd, a Rose Mass for healthcare professionals that I think you would be the presider over, right? Encouraging health professionals to come and celebrate Mass together? Yes, is that something yes. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that was canceled. What I'm wondering, because we have so many healthcare providers on the front lines of, uh, you know, ministering and aiding and serving those that are struggling with the coronavirus, watching death on a daily basis. What would be a message that you would have for healthcare professionals in this time of crisis? I'm convinced that uh, among all the motives that lead uh, men and women to be doctors, nurses, to be associated with healthcare uh, is also the identification with Jesus in his compassion for the sick. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, my, my, my message to them is to hold on to that very deeply and never lose, uh, uh, try to recall uh, at times in the day that they're doing the work of Jesus. And that I think can help relieve some of the burden of the frustration and the challenges. And also to understand that they're supported by the prayers of the rest of us. Mm. That the church is a mystical body. 
uh, one of the prayer intentions the Holy Father has urged all of us to uh, keep in our hearts is solidarity with healthcare workers and to pray for them. Uh, you are our delegates. You, you are uh, uh, standing for us in this work of mercy and you have our prayers and uh, you have the strength of the Lord. The Lord loves you for what you're doing. I guess that would be uh, the most important point. And then to remember that even when your patient dies, you haven't failed. Mm. Uh, you've offered love and we're Christians and we know that death is not the last chapter in the story. Right. Now that's such a beautiful message too. Was I have a friend that's right there on the front lines and she had messaged me a couple weeks ago and she said I just need a church to be open because I just need to go sit with God right now because she was so overwhelmed but also had this deep understanding that she needed to be with Christ in that reaction you know so crazy times for all of those working in the healthcare field when I think about the tears that uh, must be shed by the nurses and the doctors what I think about are the tears of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus and that tears are very natural. Tears, they got to be right or they wouldn't be in the heart and mind of Jesus in his mm -hmm. eyes. But they're the tears of somebody who, who trusts in the Father. Right. Well, thank you for that message. I know it's going to mean a lot to so many people that um, just are struggling through this in a very real way and in a way that many of us aren't. Another thing that you had canceled during this month was visits to high schools. So part of what your ministry is, is you go and visit different uh, schools. And obviously our schools are closed, our buildings are closed, and we found out um, that they, the buildings will stay closed till the end of the year. Uh, but school will still continue with so many of our teachers and administrators doing such a good job. Do you have any message for students that have just moved through this wild time and are now all of a sudden learning from home at their desks and at their kitchen tables, anything that they can kind of keep in mind as they move through this. And also for teachers and administrators who are trying to really act quickly to be able to prepare a curriculum in a way that they never anticipated a month ago they would be doing. Well, for the students, uh, I suppose the first thing I'd want to say uh, uh, maybe thinking about uh, you, Mary, and Mike mm -hmm. there is uh, tell them to be good to their parents. Uh, <laughs> don't make it tough on mom and dad, you know. Thank you, Archbishop Vigneron. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to play that on repeat for my children. <laughs> but uh, I think it it's there's there are things to be learned in all of this, even though they're not with their friends, they're not with their teachers, they're not in a place that they almost always all of them love very much. Uh, but it, this is a, a lesson in how to be flexible. It's also a right. lesson in taking responsibility for yourself, that uh, all of them have to uh, uh, really step up and uh, take charge of their own learning in, in a particular way. And that, that'll stand them in good stead. Yeah, I guess that's, that's the most important thing I could say. For and the for students... The, the teachers, uh, the administrators, uh, simply to ex express gratitude. We in, in Catholic schools have uh, a vivid sense that this, uh, this is an apostolate, this is a, a ministry uh, to represent Christ the teacher. And uh, the, the, con the uh, creativity, the energy, the extra effort that the teachers and administrators are showing uh, is a way to be united to Christ and to be part of the generosity of Christ. And it's an act of love for their students. Mm -hmm. And one day, uh, Jesus will say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. What you did to the least of mine, you've done to me. Oh, I think you're so right. It's funny. I um, And we'll talk about this sure, as we move through the podcast. But one thing that I kind of struggle with in these times is just anxiety with the ever-changing world. And our teachers at our school, we go to St. Michael's in Livonia, they've brought me to tears many times at the way they are trying to reach my children through these unusual circumstances. Their love, like they do see what they're doing as a ministry. And it's so beautiful to watch. So beautiful. I know I have another friend that's a teacher as well. And he said that... Um, 
he really believes that this is going to make him a better teacher in the end. Like it's kind of these weird circumstances that you'd never wish on anyone. Uh, but in fact, he's noticing it in himself and in his coworkers that they actually are becoming better teachers, better use, uh, having better use of technology so that when they do, you know, resume classes next year uh, in the classroom, uh, praise be to God, hopefully, um, that they'll just be all the better for it in a lot of ways. And it's funny how the cross does that for us, you know, it makes us better. Yes. Uh, there's a grace in every hour, and uh, our principal responsibility in life is to uh, uh, abandon ourselves along with Jesus to his Father, and that will produce much fruit. When the grain of wheat dies and falls to the ground, it produces great fruit. Well, Archbishop, today for our uh, main topic we wanted to get into and actually speak through Holy Week, uh, the Triduum specifically, and then Easter, of course, we're in this great uh, concluding season of Lent and Holy Week specifically. And we also wanted to talk about it through that lens of these extraordinary restrictions that we have going on in our society and the coronavirus and um, how we might uh, accompany one another and worship in these days and in this time in such an irregular fashion. And so, you know, I was wondering if you could start off, Archbishop, by just kind of walking us through the Triduum itself, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, uh, and some of the most significant uh, moments for our listeners, uh, therefore, um, and, and some of the ways we can maybe even celebrate uh, these particular moments for each year. I think uh, I'd, I want to start by emphasizing that the Triduum is a, a reality lived out over the three days, beginning with Holy Thursday evening and uh, ending uh, with uh, uh, Sunday afternoon, Easter Sunday evening. Uh, and it's a one reality because it's one passage. It's Christ uh, passing to the Father uh, so that he can bring us along that path. And of course, along the path, we mark uh, important moments. We mark uh, the, uh, the, Lord, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. We mark Gethsemane. We mark the, the trial. Uh, the crucifixion itself. Uh, the, uh, the time in the tomb is a very important mystery. Uh, we commemorate that with uh, our uh, proposition in the creed that he descended into hell. He went to the netherworld and proclaimed the good news to Abraham and to Isaac, to Sarah, to Rebecca, uh, to Adam, to Eve, and, and to St. Joseph. And then at an hour unknown to anybody but God and the angels, he came to life, and, and not back to life, but to a new and glorious life. And then uh, all of Easter Sunday, uh, himself the, the evangelist of the good news. So it's really one mystery that we celebrate uh, with uh, markers along the way. I think that's uh, very important to understand, but it's all about the Pasch the Passover, uh, the passage of Jesus uh, back to the Father, but now victorious and uh, uh, the, our Savior from, from sin and death. About celebrating it, I think uh, there are lots of uh, us pastors who are uh, live streaming and uh, offering the uh, the liturgies uh, to be viewed on, on the internet. I think that's a good thing to do for, for families, especially together. Uh, to watch together prayerfully, I think is very good. And I would uh, suggest uh, some sort of shared prayer, perhaps in response to what the family is doing together. Uh, or uh, even uh, if it isn't, share, if families aren't sharing their prayer, uh, face-to-face, -face, maybe to offer a witness uh, on uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, e even if you're an old guy like me, email. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, this is the grace I was given when I, I watched uh, uh, the Good Friday liturgy from uh, New York, or I watched it from Blessed Sacrament. This is what came to my mind, and, and I wanted you uh, my friend, or I wanted you, my brother, my sister, my nephew. I wanted you to know about it. Oh, that's a good. That's a that's a great way. 
to share. You know, it was funny because I remember, I remember so long ago, three weeks ago, when they started to talk yeah, about so the potential. Long ago, so long ago. I mean, somebody it's said like it's like two lifetimes. Isn't exactly. It that way, Mary? <laughs> somebody said, Archbishop Vigneron, this has been the lentiest Lent ever known to man. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree. Um, but I, but, when they, but uh, you know, that's the, the Lent God gave us. I think so about true. that so, so much that when I s celebrated Ash Wednesday, at uh, St. Aloysius, I had no idea it was going to be yes. this Lent. Yeah. The Lentiest lever e ever. <laughs> the Lentiest Lent ever. So when, when <laughs> they first, when people started to talk, almost as a rumor that perhaps Mass was going to be suspended publicly all the way through Easter, it was like a punch in my stomach. <laughs> When you were making those decisions, what was that like as you were going through the process and kind of, I'm sure, in touch with public officials? How hard was it to make the decision? What was that process like? Well, I've certainly examined my conscience about the uh, the about this decision. It's very difficult uh, to be responsible for upending the most fundamental uh, element of the life of the church. But uh, what uh, the civic officials have made clear to us is that uh, this is an act of charity mm. and that by living with this sacrifice, we are helping to save lives. And uh, the example of our Holy Father, the Pope, has meant a great deal to me when I uh, thought about it and thought about the wisdom of all of this, uh, the example of the Pope has given me uh, assurance that uh, this is the, the right course. And it is fundamentally an act of charity, uh, trying to, uh, an act of charity to those who are most vulnerable. And you know, we were talking earlier about our brothers and sisters in healthcare. It's an act of charity to them uh, that uh, to try and limit uh, the burdens that they're having from uh, dealing with the sick. I remember saying that to somebody who said, you know, I'm not really scared if I get sick. You know, I think I'll be okay. And I said, but what if you're not? And then you have to go to the hospital and they have to make a choice about your life with somebody else's life. Like we're, tr it's like a, it, that's a really interesting way to put it, an act of charity, even in the future for the nurses and doctors that are dealing with all these patients, right? Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a work of mercy. Mm-hmm, good. Yeah, I imagine that had to be really difficult to uh, to make some of those decisions and whatnot. I know that also you've chosen, uh, regarding those decisions, you've chosen to offer, you know, live stream masses from the cathedral and, and other ways to kind of celebrate uh, uh, through the digital continent to people. Uh, what is that like for you to celebrate mass in an empty cathedral, at an empty church? Weird. <laughs> 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 do you get do you get nervous almost or anything? Is it almost because the cameras are on? Is it is it? Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, so uh, I'm more self conscious certainly sure. because uh, yeah. I know it's uh, being recorded. Right. But uh, this is all part of uh, responding to what uh, a great Jesuit uh, spiritual author, Father de Cossade, called the sacrament of the present moment. Christ is present in this moment, really and truly. And uh, so putting up with uh, the frustration or the, the peculiarity of it, uh, I try to offer that up to the Lord. But uh, I, I am self-conscious in a way that I wouldn't be. And yeah. also, I, I miss uh, the, even the, the quiet feedback of the congregation. Mm, I think... Yeah. Uh, People in the congregation imagine that they become invisible to the preacher, mm. but it is not so. And mm. I, I can see the people who are bored, and I can <laughs> see the people who are, even if they don't say amen, they, yeah. they have an amen in their eyes and uh, on mm. their faces. And that means a great deal to me when I preach. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, just the way we communicate on so many various levels, and then those some of those levels are stripped away, and it's just yeah. I know we obviously uh, it's also on the flip side, you know. In theory, the the masses that you're doing at the cathedral that are being live streamed, you're reaching a broader audience than what than what could normally even probably be contained in the cathedral. So, what is that like thinking about that, and how many thousands are watching and being impacted by your live stream well, liturgy? 
That's a great blessing. And, you know, we have these resources uh, for to use the media because of your generosity, uh, the generosity of the faithful. Uh, uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without this gift. And it, it really is remarkable. I saw the numbers for Palm Sunday Mass. Uh, uh, I think it was 28,000 uh, wow. single, uh, I forget what they call them, visits. The devices. Watch, yeah. Wow. Uh, and uh, that's remark, and that's just from Blessed Sacrament. Sure, I, mm -hmm. we don't. Ha I don't know the numbers, but so many of the parish priests are live streaming out of their own uh, parishes, uh, yeah. setting things up uh, to g push that out into their parishes. So it is quite remarkable, and I give God thanks for it all. Well, I know it might. Went oh, sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to add to that. Like I know at the parish I work at, we've been live streaming masses, and you know when you consider devices, and we've had uh, when you when you just do the math and you figure out how many devices are tuned in to each mass, and then you figure out oh, there's definitely two to three to four people on the other end of that device because you know families are watching together. We were doing the math, and we're like, you know, I think we're actually doing a larger outreach than we were before on a weekend mass, on weekend, all of our weekend liturgies, just by doing this one live stream. So it is pretty remarkable the how this tool is, is extending our outreach, you know? And we're going to have to figure out how to keep using the tool, <clears throat> even though obviously uh, this can't replace uh, Sunday mass uh, in right. the congregation. But we can keep, we can learn lessons from the tool, I think. And people, uh, I know the first mass that you did, uh, from the cathedral, so not Palm Sunday. I think it was the Sunday before. I'm kind of losing track of the days, but uh, so many people tuned in, and it was your message was very comforting. I think in terms of our area, in terms of being a Catholic in Detroit and hearing from the Archbishop in a very direct way, it brought a lot of comfort. And this is where you referenced Our Lady of Lourdes too, which um, I hope we have a chance to talk about because I'm, I'm so excited to hear one of your plans or initiatives. But it was good to hear from you. And it's good to, I think, join together and still be with our shepherd in these weird trying times. One of the graces. And then I just wanted to ask you really quickly, because there's been some talk about it, but I think people still might be a little confused. We're being encouraged to pray a spiritual communion when we can't be at Mass. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how we could do that maybe as families or on our own, what a spiritual communion looks like? Well, uh, spiritual communion is actually a, a, a very old uh, practice in the life of the Church. Uh, uh, and uh, it is to ask the Holy Spirit to pour into our hearts uh, the gifts he would have given us through the actual reception of, uh, uh, of the Holy Eucharist, uh, to ask for the fruit of sacramental communion even without it. And it's especially efficacious uh, when we're in conditions where we, we can't receive Holy Communion. Mm. Um, this is a, a very old practice in the life of the church to, to ask for this. And I think you're right, Mary. This is a wonderful thing for uh, uh, people to do together, husbands and wives together, to ask for the communion and then uh, to pray that one another or for families members to pray that uh, uh, the 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 union of their hearts with Jesus, uh, with the Eucharistic, the Paschal Jesus, uh, be, be strengthened together. Yeah, it's great. Archbishop, I was wondering that in this uh, Triduum time, do you have any thoughts on how Catholics can kind of celebrate in their homes or some specific ideas of what things you would like to see your faithful do uh, in these coming days? Well, I, I do think uh, making use of uh, what's uh, streamed through the media is, is very important because it reminds us that these are, even though we can't be in church, these are feast days, these are special days. We're, we're still living this part of the liturgical year. And then I, I think uh, to Scripture, uh, to uh, take some other time to... Uh, Perhaps choose a small portion of the sacred scripture and reflect upon it together. I think uh, the crucifix on Good Friday can be a really important uh, uh, focal point for the life of the family. Perhaps move the crucifix uh, from the wall it's usually on and uh, place it 
uh, someplace in the center of uh, the living room or the dining room and maybe light a candle in front of it uh, to keep quiet, to try and urge uh, some period of quiet uh, uh, between 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock on, on Good Friday. Uh, to certainly keep the uh, the fast and the abstinence on Good Friday, I think, is uh, is very important. Um, for the Easter Vigil, um, perhaps, I mean, obviously, uh, there is the use of uh, the media to, uh, uh, in that way, from a distance, participate in, uh, in the vigil. Um, but uh, I think... Uh, uh, Color eggs together. That's uh, and and think about the egg itself. Is uh, we do this at Easter because the egg is a symbol of new life that, uh, uh, in the course of nature, breaks out of its uh, hard, cold shell. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of these uh, folk practices that we could recapitulate. I think, and pray for vocations. Pray for vocations. I think on Holy Thursday, uh, pray uh, that we have enough priests in uh, the generation going forward uh, so that we always have the Eucharist and especially we appreciate that in a time when we can't gather for the Eucharist. Now I was just going to say Mary I know you've done a lot of creative things during Holy Week with your family in particular I didn't know if you wanted to share some of those because I think they're just so lovely and so um, it's a little bit an upped game compared to what some other families have done and I didn't know (laughs) if you wanted to share that really quick. Well, it's funny. I just wrote down the Archbishop's idea to take the crucifix off the, the wall and place it somewhere like central in the home with a candle all day on Good Friday. That's going to be something that I'm going to add to our our traditions. But, you know, we haven't, I have such a young family, just to remind people, my oldest is eight and my youngest is two and I have five children. So the liturgies, we go to Easter liturgy together. We go to the celebration of the Mass on Easter. But other than that, I've never attempted to take them to any of our really beautiful Holy Thursday or Good Friday liturgies. But we've made uh, like a little church at home. So on Holy Thursday, you know, we pull up blankets on our family room floor and the kids get to eat hummus and pita bread, crisscross applesauce on the floor. And then after we wash each other's feet and then do three Hail Marys for each person and their intentions. So everybody does that. You know, dad washes the feet of the four-year-old and the two-year-old helps wash the feet of the eight-year-old. And we talk about uh, the importance of that and then read the Holy Scripture. scripture from Holy Thursday. And then on Good Friday, we always write thank you letters to Jesus. And what we've done in the past is we take a little pilgrimage down to Blessed Sacrament Cathedral and we put them at Blessed Sacrament Cathedral, our little thank you cards to Jesus for his cross. But, you know, that's going to change this year. We'll still do the thank you cards. I'm not sure where we'll put them. Um, And then we shroud our images in our own home. Uh, We do that on Good Friday morning. So all of our uh, holy images and saint statues, they're all covered up with just dish towels and things. We ain't fancy and after that uh, <laughs> on uh, you know when it comes time we do the eggs and things like that on holy saturday and we get our baskets blessed but then when they wake up on easter morning you know we've taken off all the shrouds off of all the images and there's fresh flowers behind them and things like that so we try to move through it in a really age appropriate way with our kids uh, and so we'll do some of that again this year which will be good but like i said i'm going to take that crucifix and put it right in the middle of our family room i think that's a great idea um, on good friday to really zone that in for the kids. So that's awesome. So as we move through, like as we continue to move through this coronavirus reality, it's ever changing, right? So I mean, in theory, we'd all love to say that we'll be back to mass next week, but we don't know when we'll be back to celebrating mass publicly together. And and it can be hard to move through this time and there can be anxiety and different things. And the Archdiocese of Detroit continues to put out fantastic resources for us. So one of the things, Archbishop, that's been put out is a resource called 10 Guideposts for Christians in the Time of the Coronavirus Pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about this document, how it was developed, um, how much you were involved in it, what you're hoping the faithful, how they can use it as we kind of go through this uncertain time? I wrote it, Mary. <laughs> oh, did you write it up? <laughs> did you really? Yeah, I guess I sometimes just assume that like people work together, and so that's great, Archbishop. Well, I do. I do. There, there are a lot of things that I, uh, I am our collaborative efforts. Sure, but uh, I'm bragging now, aren't I? Yeah, I like it. No, that's great to know. Very good. This is a format for teaching that I developed when I was the rector of the seminary, Mm -hmm. and I find it uh, pedagogically useful. Uh, It. 
you know, I guess so did God, because that's what he did with Moses on Mount Sinai, <laughs> <Commandments>, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> he gave him uh, not just guideposts, but Ten Commandments. Uh, yes, right. <clears throat> it's a good way to, for my mind, uh, to summarize important points. It makes it mm. easy to understand. And mm. uh, I meant them to, I offered them as what they say, uh, guideposts. Uh, mm -hmm. These are touchstones, uh, things mm. we can think about and uh, used to shape all of the ways we go about uh, responding to the uh, the epidemic. Mm -hmm. That's my hope, uh, to offer principles. Uh, uh, if I were being a little more uh, bookish about it, I might call them axioms. Uh, you know, that maybe takes you back 10th grade Euclidean geometry. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's scary, so maybe yeah. I shouldn't call them axioms. I think guidepost is a nice, safe word for people like me. <laughs> but uh, that's what I hope. Uh, uh, they're meant to be pastoral uh, yeah. uh, advice, advice from uh, a brother and, and a spiritual father. So if somebody hasn't read the, the whole thing, is there one or two that you can just mention now that really were pressed upon your heart to let the faithful know as we go through this time of uncertainty? I think the most important one is the conviction that uh, this is God's time and he's offering us himself and a grace to bring us closer to himself. Mm. And this is the acceptable time and we oughtn't mm. to, to squander it. That That's the most important. Helpful. Well, and I was going to ask you too, for some, uh, for people like me that are feeling really anxious, like I try to stay rooted in day by day and not get too lost in like, what's our society going to look like in July and, and not to feel scared. What are some ways that you would recommend um, dealing with real anxiety or fear that's coming from this time? Obviously, I resting in what you just said is huge, but is there anything else that one can do if they're feeling scared, you know? I... Uh well, I think the most important thing is to be honest about your anxiety and bring it to, to the Lord. Tell mm. him, you know, uh, I'm, I am just uh, stressed out and I give you that. And I wish I weren't stressed. And I know that if I were more like you, I wouldn't be stressed, but I am. And here it is. And you said bring, bring our junk to you and, and here's my junk. I think that's yeah. a good place to start. Yeah. Um, examples uh, might help to think about how God has used uh, trial and difficulty in the past uh, to take us to a new place and a place of grace. Uh, I think the uh, uh, companionship, the uh, accompaniment of Our Lady, for me, is always helpful when I feel stressed. Um, sometimes in the deepest time of my stress, uh, I simply hold on to the rosary and mm. have a sense that I'm holding on to her and uh, she'll take me through. Um, I don't know if any of that helps, but those are my strategies. Oh, absolutely. And I think what you said just before, too, about that this is God's time and he's very much in control because I think part of it is it can feel so like I said, ever-changing and, and, and not a controlled situation. But our God Doesn't is very present. Doesn't it feel sometimes like, uh, have you ever uh, in the winter uh, gone on a patch of ice in the car and there's just <laughs> nothing you can do? Yes. I mean, it That's feels like that. It Doesn't does it? feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very much. That's a great analogy. Archbishop, I know that we also talk about, as we're talking about the Triduum, and specifically Easter in this season and this time, we know that Easter is an, is an octave. And so it actually concludes with Divine Mercy Sunday. And it seems so fitting in our time right now with this pandemic and everything going on. Can you tell us a little bit more, more about um, Divine Mercy Sunday and um, some of your thoughts on how it might be celebrated this year in the absence of Mass and confession worldwide? Well, uh, I would urge people uh, to take advantage of the Holy Father's uh, very generous uh, offering of uh, plenary indulgence during the whole time of the pandemic. And uh, particularly, I think that's uh, appropriate on Divine Mercy Sunday. Uh, the Holy Father has said that uh, people can gain uh, plenary indulgence really any day during the uh, epidemic <coughs> through... Uh, uh, acts of, of piety, uh, 
course, a visit to the Blessed Sacrament is difficult, but reading sacred scripture, recitation of the rosary, the way of the cross, and he specifically mentions the chaplet of divine mercy to ask for an end of the epidemic, relief for the sick, and salvation for those who died. And uh, it seems to me Divine Mercy Sunday is uh, an excellent time to say the chaplet uh, for the intentions the Holy Father has outlined. And uh, the indulgence is available uh, as long as people uh, uh, go to confession and Holy Communion uh, as soon as uh, possible after the epidemic ends. This is a perhaps the simplest uh, Divine Mercy Sunday that we've ever had. Yeah, that's very true. Well, one of the things that I love that we do, Archbishop Vigneron, is we ask the faithful to send in questions that we ask you during every single one of our podcast recording. We've told the faithful that they can email eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org along with their parish name and their name uh, with questions they may have that we can ask you. So we're going to ask you some questions right now if you're ready. I'm ready. All right. Our first question I'm quite excited about, Archbishop Vigneron, because it came in the form of a more traditional way of sending in a question. My son Aaron were working on a letter writing campaign in our house during this time of the coronavirus and he chose to write you one day and in his letter he wanted to know what your favorite sport was. Aaron got a letter back this week from the Archbishop that said instead of answering you would like me to ask this on our podcast. So <laughs> the question from Aaron Christopher Wilkerson of St. Michael Parish in Livonia is Archbishop Ignoran what is your favorite sport? Mary, did he frame that letter yet? Where's that? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no joke. It is above his bed right now. It's not in an actual frame, but it is like taped up there with duct tape never coming down. Uh -huh. He read it out loud. It was a very exciting day in our house, just so you know. Okay. Uh, I'll answer the question, but you're going to have to respond on his behalf to a question. My, oh, uh, yes. the, the sport that I find uh, most uh, captivating, most interesting, is baseball, uh, because I think it has a certain uh, complexity so much, mm -hmm. not that any sport isn't about mental uh, involvement, but baseball is very much that. And also, I'm convinced the principal reason I find it uh, the most interesting sport is uh, it was my dad's favorite sport. It's oh, what awesome. he loved to play and what he yeah. loved to watch. Very cool. Very and my cool. question in return is, what's his favorite sport? Awesome. Well, I will don't tell, tell you. me curling. I don't think. Okay. <laughs> Listen, this is what's going to be interesting to you. We are a football family, and he plays football and watches football. But when we got your letter, he read it out loud to all of his siblings, and we all took a vote about what your favorite sport would be, Archbishop Vigneron. And I will tell you, everyone decided it would be baseball, and it was. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we guessed that baseball would be your favorite sport, and it was. He's going to be very excited when I tell him that. <laughs> Great. All right, Mikey, what's the next question? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Rocky from Guardian Angels asks, how, would, how do you look beyond our own spiritual preferences to foster a Catholic culture that allows a wide breadth of spiritual expression to draw all people into a dynamic relationship with Jesus? I think it requires a certain amount of wisdom, and uh, depending on the responsibility that somebody has, the, the wisdom has to be different. The wisdom I need to bring to this is different from the wisdom, say, a, a dad or a mom bring to it. But it involves that there uh, is one Catholic faith, but that Catholic faith is expressed in, in many different ways. And... Uh, the measure for all of this is uh, what the church allows, I should allow. And what the church rules out of bounds, that's the only thing I rule out of bounds. And just because it uh, uh, is my favorite uh, devotion doesn't mean it has to be your favorite devotion. But to be generous in recognizing that it's all uh, that in each devotion, it's always about Jesus. It, I think it's an attitude, uh, uh, an attitude of respect, uh, and also uh, uh, an attitude of uh, uh, 
being at peace with my own charism. The fact that I have a devotion that, uh, say, uh, uh, my neighbor doesn't have, that a, a wife has a devotion that her husband doesn't particularly share. Uh, you have to be secure in that, that this is a gift God gave me and, and that it might not be the exact same gift he gives to, to someone else. I think a, a, a very simple example for thinking about this is the kinds of devotions people have to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary is not optional in the life of a Catholic Christian. It's, it's, it belongs to being a Catholic. But the kind of devotion and the way one lives that devotion uh, is, is be beautifully different. And that difference isn't a mistake. Uh, the mistake would be to try and force uh, there to be only one kind of devotion to the Blessed Virgin because I thought that in some way this is the very best. Uh, that's not, that doesn't give God glory. God is glorified by the diversity as long as it's a harmonious diversity because God is the, is the God of, of plentitude, uh, not the God of lockstep uh, uh, um, uh, monotony. Mm. Wonderful, thank you. Next question, Tara from Guardian Angels in Clawson has this question for you. Schools are closed right now because of the pandemic. She was curious, what are some of the things your parents would have come up with for you as a child, especially on rainy days if you were at home like so many of our children are? Um, I was going to answer differently until you talked about rainy days. Uh, <laughs> Uh, if it weren't rainy days, they'd find work for us to do. <laughs> we, we cleaned the garage. <laughs> I love it. That is a very uh, efficient parenting tactic. <laughs> um, I, I suppose uh, they would have urged us to read. Uh, my, my father especially was a very voracious uh, reader. And I think they would have encouraged us to uh, to do that. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, I think games were important uh, to, to, to get us to interact with one another. Sure, yeah. When it comes to reading when you were young, do you remember any series or anything that you liked to read? My, my boys are going through the Chronicles of Narnia right now, and they love it. Is there any series that you, you could think of off the top of your head? that young ones and then, you know, elementary school, middle school kids might be able to get into that would be a good series to read during these days? Well, I think the Chronicles of Narnia, is, uh, those are excellent choices. Yeah. They stimulate the imagination <coughs> and they convey a, a Christian ethos. That's great. Yeah. My own childhood, I early on took to reading Lives of the Saints. Uh, oh, okay. I yeah. think every, every young person wants to read uh, heroic accounts yeah. and the heroic accounts of the saints are really shaped my childhood. So, so the final question, Archbishop, is uh, from Rebecca at St. Anastasia's in Troy. And she asks, how can we evangelize cradle Catholics who have left the church for one reason or another? It seems more difficult than those who, who are completely unfamiliar with the church. I think the place to begin is with prayer, uh, to look at the uh, sort of the range of people that are in my life that uh, I might be called upon to evangelize and uh, ask the Holy Spirit, who are you particularly sending to me? And to pray for that person and hold that person in prayer and then to watch for how the Holy Spirit responds to that prayer and creates opportunities to share the good news. And then I think the sharing of the good news uh, needs to be gentle. Uh, witness is probably the best thing that one can do. And uh, to have uh, tell your story of why, why it means so much to, to you uh, and uh, why you'd like to have that grace for, uh, for your friend, for the person you want to evangelize. And I think something low impact is, always is... Uh, is there something we can pray for? Do you, something that you'd like me to pray for? Uh, and then 
when you find that out, say, how about we pray about it together? And uh, oftentimes it can be as simple as the Hail Mary, uh, getting somebody a little closer to the Blessed Virgin is uh, a powerful breakthrough, I think. It's, it's, I, think I think the, uh, the non-threatening uh, witness and shared prayer, I think, are uh, the most useful. And to watch. Uh, because as much as uh, Rebecca wants to share Jesus with uh, the na her neighbor, Jesus even more wants to be shared. He's more, uh, more zealous and more heartfelt about it. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Archbishop, for answering those questions. Appreciate it. And I had a question, one last final question for before we uh, kind of conclude. Uh, are, are there any special intentions or prayers that you would ask of us at this time to pray for you? I'd like you all to join me in praying for uh, the healthcare professionals, the doctors, the nurses, and their colleagues. I, uh, uh, there's one-on-one, -on -one, there isn't very much I can do to support them, but I feel deeply uh, the, the, uh, the cross that is coming to them, the, the, the responsibility they have, and I ask people to join with me in praying for our brothers and sisters who are doing this uh, this mission of Jesus, this mission of mercy. And Archbishop, would you mind closing us with a, with a prayer and a blessing? Happy to. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, our Mother. To thee do we come. Before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Incarnate Word, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer us. Amen. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Happy Pascha, happy Easter. Yeah, thank you so much, Archbishop. Thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like the Open Door Policy Podcast with Fathers Steve Pullis and Danielle Center, a podcast for joyful missionary disciples and our movement to unleash the gospel. Find it on your favorite podcast app.